I am Captain Matthew Gillespie of the Philadelphia Police Department's 18th District, and this is Aftermath Philadelphia. In this podcast, we host critical conversations with those involved in reducing the epidemic of gun violence in the city of Philadelphia. This podcast features candid episodes that highlight different thoughts and perspectives while offering strategies to lower the violence. I'm really pleased to have Philadelphia Fire Department Lieutenant David Sullivan. In this episode, we discuss the role of the Philadelphia Fire Department and Philadelphia Police Department when responding to and treating victims of gun violence, along with the effects that that can have on the employees, the role of social media nowadays, and what a day in the life of a medic in the city of Philadelphia can be like. The thoughts and ideas on this episode do not necessarily reflect the thoughts and ideas of the Philadelphia Police Department, the Philadelphia Fire Department, or the city of Philadelphia. All right, everyone, welcome back to Aftermath Philadelphia. Today, I have a, a very special guest, a partner, really, in the city of Philadelphia with us, uh, Philadelphia Fire Department EMS Lieutenant David Sullivan. David, thank you for being here. Sure. Thanks, Matt, for having me. Appreciate it. Um, also, I have to mention, part of the Penn Star flight crew, right? Also part of the Penn Star flight crew. Okay. And I, I do want to say that I, I probably have seen you in the helicopter flying over my house because that's one of the, it seems one of the routes <laughs> Penn Star flies. Yep. Um, so, David, I noticed before we started to record, uh, you moved down to Philadelphia uh, to be part of the fire department. Can you kind of, you know, tell the guests what brought you uh, to the Philadelphia Fire Department and really what do you do now in the fire department? So I originally moved down to the city to actually I worked in another um, area of the city before I got on the job, uh, got into the fire department. So I didn't actually, I moved down to Philadelphia in 08. Okay. I didn't actually come on the job till 2012. Okay. So, yeah, I lived in the city. I actually lived out here in West Philly. Okay, at, cool. Uh, 43rd and Locust. Nice. <laughs> for, for a, it's right down the street. Right down the street, yep. Um, one of my favorite spots was Koch's Deli. When I when I lived we, down here, we, actually, police officers, we know it well. <laughs> yeah, so I might actually stop by Koch's on my way out. Okay, and uh, and grab a sandwich. So I got on the job in uh, 2012, and I was a fairly what I thought was a fairly seasoned paramedic before I moved down to the city. And you know, I was looking for a challenge. I was looking for you know to work in a big city and to have a a great career. You know, one of the things I say to the young police officers is if you're a police officer here in Philadelphia and after, you know, two years, three years, four years, you always want to look to improve and train. But there's really no situation that you haven't handled if you work in a major city like Philadelphia. Would you say that's the same with the fire department? Yeah, it's ex- you know what, Matt? It's exactly the same. When um, when, when I was in the street as a, as a paramedic working in the squad, one of the, my duties was... You know, we precept cadets as they come out of the academy, sure. and yeah, I always taught them the same thing. Even if they came to the job with experience, okay. they probably don't have experience. Yeah, like till they come on the job and put some time on. You know, I was talking to somebody yesterday, and it's a good thing. I really do. I want to say this: it's a great thing. One of the things I love about the city it's a city of neighborhoods. Mm-hmm. So West Philadelphia is very different than other parts of the city. Um, you know, each neighborhood has its very valuable attributes, and then there's struggles in each neighborhood. Um, the police department can be different that way. You know, when you work out in West Philadelphia, your experience could be different than it might be in East Division, which mm-hmm. we'll talk about later. Is the fire department similar to that? Yeah, definitely, for sure. I mean, each, I mean, we all know, you know, we have, I think, 
oh, you know, I forget how many fire stations we have, and they're strewn all around, all amongst the city, and every firehouse is different. Okay. Every firehouse has a different flavor with a sure. different, you know, type of person, and you know, some of the firehouses are, you know, younger with all like we went through a huge hiring splurge. Gotcha. And you know, some of the firehouses are younger, and those guys are like, you know, training and you know, reading and training and studying and this and this and this and a lot of like, you know, moving around a firehouse. Sure. And some of the firehouses are slower. And gotcha. some of those guys got a lot more time on yeah. and, you know, they're just in a slower house and, gotcha. you know, so it's a different flavor. You know, what I can say is though, my experience from being as a police officer, there, there's nothing about fire that I want to be a part of. I'll just say that right now. Sure. You know, we, we will definitely block traffic. We'll keep people away. Right. And then we will watch, you know, whether it's been in West Philadelphia, in North Philadelphia, where I've worked, or in East Division, Kensington, uh, the work that you guys do, I mean, not only heroic, you know, just heroism, but um, I, I've seen firemen just go above and beyond really comforting those that might have lost, you know, possessions, their homes, everything. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, the the idea for this podcast is really to like let listeners see what is going on in the city in a positive way, Mm -hmm. you know, even though the city might be struggling a little bit with some issues. Um, You know, you guys are probably one of the busiest fire departments and EMS departments in the country. Yeah, we're um, we're right up there. I think if it's like pure call volume, we're right up there with I think New York City, Chicago. Wow, San Francisco, Dallas. I think. Now, I mean, I found these stats online, so Uh it's not like I'm a. So uh, they're totally true. They're totally (laughs) true. Exactly. You know, the Philadelphia Fire Department, and this is what I want the listeners to hear. You know, in 2020, just EMS, just Mm -hmm. just EMS, you guys responded to 266 thousand incidents. Mm -hmm. That's a lot. You ran 50 ambulances 24 7, 365 days. Mm-hmm. And how many people usually work on an ambulance? It's at least two? Two. Okay, two. And you guys treated over 176,000 uh, patients. Yeah, just another, you know, quiet service. Explain to us what is what's a night in a busy firehouse at a busy EMS? What's the shift like? It, it do you is, get a break? I guess is what I'm asking. Sometimes you know, I sometimes we do. Okay, and, and sometimes we don't. So when I came on the job, I uh, did uh, Kensington section okay. uh, for like about maybe three or four years or so, and then I was assigned to permanent days. It even even our day works. Even like I was just because yeah. our schedule was perm- straight yeah. days and straight nights sure. before we switched back to the four on four off. So even just on straight day works, we were picking up our unit mm-hmm. at quarter of seven six you know quarter of seven doing shift change and yeah. shift change sometimes consists of are the narcs there are they all accounted for yeah. do we have two radios are there keys in the squad and is that fuel and then you're gone yeah and then you're maybe coming back for lunch if you're fortunate yeah and then you're me and then you're uh, coming back for shift change and you know in the middle one of the things i say to the young officers especially those that first get on the job you know they're shocked at how busy they are yeah like y- y- it's not uncommon that you don't eat lunch or you don't eat dinner mm-hmm. and you have to budget your time as best as you can. But when you're getting like 20, 30 calls a night as a police officer uh, and handling issues, it, it's really hard. And yeah. I can only imagine as an EMS, you know, you guys are not only like responding to the scene, but taking the person to the hospital, working with the doctors and the medical staff at, at our hospitals. I'm sure that is like a challenge in some cases. Yeah, it can be uh, it can be a long night work. I'll say it can be a long or day work. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't matter. I mean, 
I, I, I know that you're pretty active on social media, and sure. every morning the uh, verified fire department account puts gotcha. out our uh, daily numbers, and they're always 764. It's crazy. It's 863. One of the things I got really good at was I retweet those all the time, and actually really helped my math skills because I had to add the two numbers okay. together to give total incidents yeah, yeah. per day. So, you know, but every day it's like 750. 755, yeah. 800, 863. And, you know, you're just, and we're not even to the ramp up for the summertime. summertime. Yeah. I, on that note, like with the social media, I think that's a good thing to put those numbers oh, out. That's a great thing. No. Because it lets everybody see What's really, truly how busy you guys are. Yeah. Uh, before uh, before T, uh, Commissioner Teal came to the to the department, sure. you know, we had like, we didn't have much of a social media footprint as, as a department. You know, it was kind of new and, and such. And uh, Commissioner Teal really just embraced it, you know, yeah. through his own personal social media when he had a blue check uh-huh. on his personal account. And then with, like, the department and him investing some time and resources into that. Yeah. So now we get, like, that daily or the, you know, social – the Twitterverse, I guess, sure, per sure. se. And the Facebook universe gets yeah. that daily update of – Listen, we have guys that are out there 24-7. And just like you said, it's 24-7, 365. We're literally yeah. on the street as medics 24-7. Just, yeah, just grinding out there, just taking runs. Now, you know, we'll get into another section or another issue in a minute. But, like, describe to the listeners, you know, I don't even know. Like, what is the range of patients, right? So you're dealing with everybody from— A neonate to 108. That's, okay. what, I, that's what I say. That's I've delivered babies. I've delivered uh, I've delivered babies. I've del- and I've taken care of, I think, the oldest patient I ever took care of was 101 or wow. 102. Wow. I, th- I think. Yeah. I mean, and you guys even come here. Like, be honest. To the district. When we have issues with individuals that are either police officers mm-hmm. or uh, sometimes we have those that are under arrest here, you know, mm-hmm. we need help. We call for the ambulance. You guys are here in a matter of time. And, you know, one of the things that I have seen um, with you guys is no matter who the patient is and what circumstances they, they are in, they're treated the same way. Yeah. Our, That's my experience. The, uh, the, the, the men and women... And I'm no longer in the street anymore. I'm, you know, I'm no longer in the street anymore. Okay. Um, the the men and women that are out there in the medic units day after day, who who are grinding the or not grinding these runs up, but taking these runs and handling these incidents, yeah. do a fantastic job. They they really do. Mm-hmm. You know, it, they handle everything that's out there. Yeah. And 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 everything in between. Yeah. So they, they really do. They, they do a fantastic job. They are some of the most compassionate and empathetic people that you're probably ever going to come across. And I would agree. I mean, from my experience seeing them, I would definitely agree. And heroic. You know, I've seen EMS and fire fire personnel, I mean, really just do outstanding heroic things. Um, COVID's a big issue. Right, so we adjusted how we operated. How has COVID really affected the EMS service in the last year? Well, to be honest, um, if at all, I don't know if it necessarily has. I mean, because okay. people, even when COVID starts to ramp up, you know, even the ramp up to COVID in March, April, twenty twenty, you know, we were still handling seven hundred and fifty yeah. yeah. you know, jobs a day. You know, the department made a. The department made a conscious effort mm-hmm. to make sure that our members are always correct, always set with PPE. Mm-hmm. I don't think that there was ever a time that I can think of, and that you know we were just kind of here into the grapevine or whatnot. Sure. In in my assignment now, that guys were like, you know, out of PPE or wearing like, you know. 
we, we, I'm sure we saw these pictures on social media, like sure. these crazy mass yeah, scenarios gotcha, that are out right, there in the mall. Yeah, I, I, you know, the department made a conscious effort and invested time, money, and personnel into our infection control officer, our infection control office, mm. and the the nucleus the nucleus of people that are down in the infection control office yeah. are are top notch. Okay. I mean, they, they're they're really great. Because you still have to like you know we're one of the we're some of the f- professions that you, we can't work from home. We, we're essential. Yeah, we're essential. We, we, we have to go to work. <laughs> we had to go to work. You know, just like the doctors, the great doctors and nurses in the city. I mean, we just we can't stop. No. And that's no. you made that point. I mean, that's one of the things I saw every morning when you retweet because we do follow each other on social media. The calls didn't. Didn't stop. Didn't stop. They didn't go nope. down drastically. I mean, in some cases, they probably went up a little bit. I think that they did. I mean, I'd really have to go back and crunch some of the numbers through like the early section, the early quarter, the twenty, early quarter of twenty twenty. But you know, they date. You know, like I said, the infection control office made sure that when we were handling, when we really started to see COVID kind of ramp up mm-hmm. in the city, and the infection control office and the captain down there did a really good job of getting us the data yeah. to, you know, the, the most up-to-date data that was available through CDC or through Department of Health or through the City Department of Health gotcha. that, you know, that our members were safe always, mm-hmm. you know, always had PPE, always, always safe and always just kind of operating in an understanding of this is our job. Yeah. We're going to take care of these folks. But we need to do that. Uh, we need to make that operation as safe as possible. possible. I mean, and when it comes down to it, like the citizens of Philadelphia rely on us. Absolutely. You know, and and that's that's really great to hear. It's something I knew. You know, because yeah. we work with you guys. Sure. And uh, but it's it's good uh, that the listeners get to hear it. Um, you know, two other things: the opioid crisis and gun violence. You know, they kind of. I'm not, it's issues that we both as police and the fire department deal with. You know, you guys respond to these incidents as we do. Mm-hmm. And part of the goal of this podcast is to get the listeners to hear what we are thinking and kind of what we are going through as first responders with things like this. You know, a lot of, we spoke a lot already on, on other episodes of what the officers are thinking when they respond to a call of gunshots or people are uh, unfortunately shot. Can you, you know, maybe give us a window into what, the EMS field is thinking when they respond, you know, steps that they take when they go to a shooting scene and work with us out there? Sure. I mean, so let's let's, let's tackle these two issues kind of because they're independent. Yeah, sure. Right? Absolutely. So, talking about gun violence, when I, when I was in the street as a medic and uh, one of the things that I'll always remember is when I was uh, working up in a, another section of the city and you know, I got a, a job for a shooting. And I was relatively new to the job, actually. And this is actually a really funny story. Mm-hmm. So I, I catch a job for a shooting, and my partner, who is a very seasoned paramedic at this point, and is still a good friend of mine, okay. and we laugh. We, we you know we jo- we see each other, we joke or joke around every now and again when we can. Um, we catch this job, and we are like, we are going very relatively quickly for what the job okay. for what the job was, right? All right. So we pull up on location, and the two officers are are trying to put this guy in the, in the wagon. And I'm like this, almost out of the academy, sure. you know, all in on whatever the scenario is. I want all of it. And yeah. uh, so I get out. You know, I, I convince these two cops, these two officers relatively quickly to hand this guy over. And uh, so we get him, we get him in the back of the squad, and we start working on him. And okay. And, you know, then, oh, excuse me. And then the engine pulls up. So 
sorry, the engine pulls up and, you know, so we have hands, you have, you know, CPR in progress and, you know, we're doing this whole thing. And, and this is all in a matter of like two minutes, three minutes. I've crammed in almost every paramedic skill I can think of okay. that I was trained in gotcha. in like two or three minutes. And then we're off to Temple Hospital. Okay. And then two or three minutes later, we're pulling into one of the finest trauma centers in the city yeah. with, you know, a haste or when we, you know, notify the hospital ahead of time by haste sure. to the trauma service. And there's another probably... 15 to 20 people in the trauma bay mm. and we walk in and I don't know if, if you're familiar with Temple Hospital but when you walk in the trauma bay yep. you know it's as when we bring patients in it's all eyes on us yeah. and it was it was and it was all over and then it was over in like 10 minutes okay and that was it like so I'm sitting outside of the, of the ER and I'm talking to my partner and my and honestly God my hand was shaking I was like I had this uh, you know I don't want to sound well, there is a, a there is a adrenaline rush yeah. to it because it's it's a natural thing for that. Mm-hmm. I would say, you know what yep. I mean. But I, I was, yeah, you yeah. can't be compact. From my experience of, of taking people that are are wounded and shot, you know, um, you compact almost like all the training, all the experience you have in the job into that five to ten minute yeah. event of getting them there, yeah. and then us, you know, trying to find out who did it soliciting who who did it describe to us so you know i can only imagine like all the medical skills that you have yeah compacted into two to three minutes and then it's like on to the next job that was it it was and, like and, and you know what that that's another because with police officers we're constantly moving on to the next thing the next thing the mm-hmm. next thing how with the ems service you know you get a patient mm-hmm. that say we'll use gunshot wounds it's a traumatic event. It can be a dangerous event for everybody involved. Mm-hmm. You do everything you can. You get them stabilized. You get them to the hospital. How do you, like, move on to the next event? Do you take a minute? Do you take a breath? Are you just – how do you bring that adrenaline down a little bit? Well, you know, we we, got, we take about 20 – well, we're supposed to have 20 minutes at the hospital. Okay. And then when we deal with critical patients, when we deal with any critical patient, you know, uh, it doesn't matter what their medical patient, trauma mm-hmm. patient, doesn't matter. You know, we'll generally give the uh, communication center a call or the supervisor that's on location will give the, the – um, the communication center calls say, hey, listen, you know, Medic 10 was just, you know, at blah, 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 at, you know, X address. Okay. They had a, you know, a really critical patient. They're going to be extended at the hospital for decon documentation. Sure. And then, you know, while they're deconning, documenting, you know, usually that's the time to have, like, um, uh, a, a, de- a, g- a good, like, informal debrief, debrief with your partner. Sure. And then you know, take a second to, like, slow it down. Yeah. And that was, uh, that, that was a fun, that, that was a job I'll never forget. For sure. It's one of the things I tell my officers. I mean, I, I've been in Temple University's hospital um, with three or four separate gunshot victims come in. And I just have seen the work that the EMS service has done, uh, firefighters coming mm-hmm. in, the nurses and the doctors. I mean, they're world-class institutions down there. There's, Seriously. There are world-class institutions in the city. Yeah. I mean, to, to be honest, I mean, you know, UPenn out here in West, yep. you know, Temple, Jefferson, and uh, just all the hospitals in the city see a just a volume of patients and mm-hmm. a volume of scenarios that are un- probably unbridled. And, and, and right now the main goal is really to, you know, I say this and you know where I'm coming from, to make sure that those hospitals don't see the volume that they're seeing right now. Right. You know what I mean? Yep. And, and and that's that's the key. I think everybody in the city, whether you work for, work in the city, for the city, live in the city, 
that's the goal. Yeah, you know, it, it really is. And one of the things that we do as uh, EMS providers is, you know, we really, really do the absolute 100% best we can to deliver these patients to the hospital that have the best care available. Yeah. And whether that's, you know, maybe just putting on a tourniquet for just, you know, in, the, in just it's specifically, you know, in a... You know, patient that's got a gunshot wound, you know, if that's, you know, bleeding control, airway management, yeah. you know, whatever, or, or or not. I mean, you know, the majority of our work actually has very little to do with, you know, complex medical patients and stuff like that. Gotcha. You, you know, if you take the average medic unit that does, say, 12 jobs a day, that's a job an hour. Wow. You know, they'll, they'll see just by pure by pure law of averages, they'll yeah. see one or two critical patients during the day. Okay. But but what what about the other ten? You know, the other ten aren't critical and could be end quote critical. Gotcha. You know, it's a lot of other services that we provide to folks. You know, we do a lot of compassionate, empathetic care. You know, I, I remember a job I handled not too long ago. Probably by not too long ago, I mean like four or five years ago. In um in like the Crescentville Logan section, mm-hmm. and you know we had to do we we had to fix an air conditioner, and and that was and that's all the guy actually needed. He needed you know two guys to show up. Yeah. Sit down with him over. Uh, he was a, a an elderly gentleman. Uh-huh. He needed uh, two guys to show up, knock his air conditioner around, chat about the good old days for a little bit. Get him a yeah. glass of water in this. Make sure he was good to go. I mean, you know, in the summer. I mean, you and I both know the summers can get really hot mm-hmm. in here in the city. And what he didn't need medical care. Yeah, but he just needed. And you know, I'm glad you social, shared that story because getting back to my officers True. again, you know, it's like that guy needed. He needed maybe companionship, comfort, mm-hmm. and you provided that. And it, and I say to my officers, you know. The services that you provide and making somebody feel better or safer isn't always arresting somebody else mm-hmm. or, you know, some of the problems that you're going to fix as an officer are not necessarily, you know, crime issues. And, you know, they say in these kind of jobs for uh, first responders, you never know really what you're going to get when you come to work that day. And, and that's an example. Now, on the other side, you can see some very... Dangerous situations. Yes. Um, but, you know, getting back to, like, the, the 12 patients a day, um, the opioid crisis. Sure. You know, we talked earlier about some programs that the fire department is doing. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I, you know, we can always sit here and say, you know, what can we do better? What can we do better? What can we do better? And, you know, when the opioid crisis really started to ramp up, when I came on the job in 2000, in um, the mid-2000s, yeah. was... It was just at a pace that was like I was going through a a brick of Narcan, which is twelve. It should be about twelve to fourteen doses. Wow! A brick of it, a day, almost in a day, almost a one twelve-hour shift. Wow. We were just going through it like like water at, at one point, and you know you could see it ramp up, and then you can you know kind of take a while. I mean. You know what's my role as mm-hmm. a as a paramedic? Mm-hmm. You know our role is compli- is is not as easy as just you know go go to a go to a place, yeah. give Narcan, revive the you know the the individual, put them in the medic unit, take them to the hospital, and then do the same in the same type of job over and see the same person yeah. you know, four five six times a week. And you know what w- I can say one of the things that. You know, Commissioner Teal has done, and Commissioner Yates has done, and Commissioner Murphy have done. Have done is they've really dedicated uh, 
really dedicated, I hate to keep saying this, but, you know, time, personnel, and resources that are scarce. I mean, there they really are, and you know that. Yeah, you know, absolutely. Scarce, to uh, the Community Risk Reduction Office. Okay. So it, the Community Risk Reduction Office uh, partnered up with, um, oh, what's that city agency called? Department of Health and DBIDS, I believe that's what it's. I forget dis, uh, people with disabilities, okay. health insurance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they follow me on Twitter. I, I, I have to look. We'll it up. We'll find. We'll, we'll we'll give them a shout <laughs> out a when, we, when we when uh, we find um, out what the acronym is. And we created, uh, you know, through grants, we created a, the AR two program. Okay. And the the AR two program is a program that is invaluable to the you know the epicenter I think even the I would even say the epicenter of almost the entire East Coast or further I, listen I worked in East Division as a, as a police officer when I first came out um, and it was no you know it was known as the epicenter at that point yeah and you know I'm talking 03, 04, 02 yeah um so, so I'm glad to hear that these these things are out there. So AR2 is out there, and what they do is um, it's a tw- not 24/7, 365. It is a seven day week operation, uh, eight to 4:30, eight to five ish. Okay. They did have some impacts through COVID, but I believe that the AR2 program is now back up and running. Um, at, you know, as at, you know, everything kind of starts to open up. So. You know, what they do is they work with the um, EMS units that are in the uh, Kensington zip codes. And when, you know, they catch a, you know, they they don't really get dispatched on a whole lot, but they listen up on the radio and okay. they hear a job. You yeah. Know, we, and we both know the the intersections. You know, they hear, you know, for a man down the highway or, you know, or it come, just straight up comes out as an overdose. Mm-hmm. And, you know, AR2 responds with them. And if the patient is medically stable enough and is willing, mm-hmm. you know, they get um, they kind of bypass the hospital system and okay. they work with a civilian. So it's a civilian and a paramedic or a paramedic lieutenant, and they work directly with a civilian who is linked into bed availability for rehab. And mm-hmm. they they you know kind of get them out of that whole you know street to ER to street again street and they break that cycle. They break that. They, cycle. they really do. Yeah. And, and AR the AR two program does a really really good job of it. You know and. The, the, the folks that are down there that work in that unit every day mm-hmm. and the two officers that run the community risk reduction mm-hmm. office are committed to that mission. So, and again, like that's something I didn't, honestly, I didn't know. Right. You know what I mean? You think that maybe the, the, the public in the city doesn't necessarily know. So we're highlighting good things that are out there. Um, how many fire department personnel are assigned to that office? If you To the, the office, it's uh, a captain, lieutenant. Okay. In the that run the office, and then it's AR two is a lieutenant and another paramedic. Yeah. And then, two, and then there are two civilian. I don't want to call them like not mental health counselors, but two civilian like social worker type okay. counselor folks. Yeah. I mean, listen that that is the thing, and and we always say this all the time. We want to take constructive criticism. We can always improve. You know, there's yeah. there's time, money, and resources with everybody constraints. Mm-hmm. Um, but to try and break the cycle of just what you said, right? The the overdose on the street, go to the hospital, back out the next day uh, or several hours later, and then repeat that cycle. Um, you know, with the gun violence epidemic here, you know, we're trying and are, not just trying, but are thinking of other alternatives. Now, listen, I have to say it. There are people that just need to be arrested and put in jail. That's and right, right now, there are some people that... Um, are not where they should be. And that, that is my personal opinion, and I know others feel that way. Uh, but 
there are other issues where, like, you know, the young person that gets caught with a gun for the first time, you know, I don't think that person needs to go to jail, mm-hmm. me personally. There are, you know, diversionary programs. There are community programs that we should get this person, um, you know, involved in to break that cycle of, you know, caught with a gun or committed some type of crime. Now you're in the criminal justice system, back out on the street, back to the criminal justice system. We want to break that cycle just like you want to break the opioid um, addiction cycle. I think that there's a way to do it. Yes. And I think that, you know, and I'm going to give a shameless plug to okay. one, of, one of my favorite Twitter followers, sure. Scott Charles. And hopefully we we, he, we he, have to get him he, on the we show. we got to get him. You know, that guy, yes. is, he, guy is, a, is, a, is a beast on Twitter. So anyway, so... I, there's an avenue to do that, and I recently just saw the uh, department in St. Louis through their verified social media account um, just started putting gun locks in their firehouse. So where yeah, I assume I didn't they didn't put out the policy, but they did a, like a press release and a presser in front of one of their firehouses, and you know they put gun locks into the firehouses, and they went neighbor almost door to door and deliver it. I believe in their first day they delivered 55 gun locks. Wow. So is that an avenue we can take? I don't know. You know, other, uh, other avenues that we can do through, I mean, through Community Risk Reduction Office, you yeah. know, could we do, partner up with our, the local trauma centers and do, you know, maybe some type of, you know, tourniquet training or, you know, other training that's out there. You know, it's it just, I think it's just going to be innovative. Yeah, I mean, I think, and to get back to... Uh Charles Scott, or Scott Charles. Scott Charles. Scott Charles, I'm sorry. Um, gun violence educator, trauma outreach manager. He runs an outstanding program uh, down at Temple. He does, um, yeah. He, he, he runs the uh, Cradle to the Grave program. Yes. And I was very fortunate. And I, I was very, very fortunate um, a few years ago to speak there. Mm-hmm. To I, It was my day. I was, I, you know, obviously volunteered and went down on one of my days off and, you know, and spoke to a group of high school kids. I forget what the school's from. It's not important. So I, I was very fortunate to go through, and I went through the program with them. And yeah. even as like, and by then I was like, you know, I was a more seasoned EMS provider mm-hmm. and and far more experienced. And, and even then I was still sh- shocked as yeah. to what I learned. As, a, as an adult, I was like in my <laughs> mid-30s when, when you, I went through. You hit on a great point, right? So it's like... It, I'm not going to beat a dead horse, but, you know, people need – there are some that need to be off our mm-hmm. streets. Education is so key. Education and prevention, my opinion, uh, and I think a lot of others in the city and nationally feel the same way, programs like his that educate and give young people or, or anybody, like – Anybody. Th- this, is, this is reality in terms of gun violence and what can happen. Um, those programs need – Support they do, and, and you Temple, know, I, I support them. Te- Temple absolutely supports them. You know, and I don't know what their like what the program status is. Obviously, I think COVID really threw a yeah. big, you know, big curveball into everybody's mm-hmm. you know world. But pre-COVID, so we'll just go back to the pre-COVID. What we all know yeah, is yeah. pre-COVID. So a Temple a Temple Hospital, you know, I think does a tremendous job supporting Scott Charles and um, and the. And even the trauma staff and the EM staff that's there at Temple, they really do. They they do a great job. And the nursing staff, don't get me wrong, love the nurses at Temple. They're great. They, the nurses are uh, they're the ones that make it run. They do a uh, they really do reach out into that yeah. North Philly community, that North mm-hmm. Philadelphia community, and they they really do try to provide a, 
a service to the community members for yeah. sure. Yeah. Yep. Um, last thing before we wrap this up, you know, well, I have to give the guy. Matt we're both of uh, yeah. Well, you know, <laughs> <laughs> meetings upon meetings. Right, you know what I mean? Right, right. Zoom meeting. I'm a Zoom meeting expert. Listen, we're both supervisors. You know, we both uh, you know oversee a certain amount of employees. Um, the trauma that this affects, right? Mm-hmm. So, like last night, my officers in the 12th district, you know, they responded to the job where uh, the six year old uh, was shot. Unfortunately, his father lost his life, and another man was shot. It's 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 horrible. It did shake up some of my officers. You know, I know what we do. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, is there anything specific you do or the fire department does to kind of address or just pay attention to the fact that you know these t- seeing these things, responding to these things, has an effect on the trauma or or the well being mentally of its employees. Well, you know, as a, as their supervisor, that's my job. You know, you know, I got when I get to jobs that are you know mentally taxing or emotionally charged or you know have a very adverse outcome or whatnot. You know, my you know after the whole incident is handled and you know yeah. patients at yep. the hospital or you know police are involved or whatnot and everything's kind of you know the incident's been stabilized and you know I, I try to keep a keen eye on the the, the actual members and and ask them. Hey, I mean, are you, are you okay? Yeah. Or not? You know, I I can remember a time. A job I handled and a supervisor who's not on the job, he retired, you know, a couple years ago. And I handled a really, really horrific job and it was very difficult. Mm-hmm. It, it, it involved a child and and it was very, very difficult. And I was okay. You know, I, I went up there, I was perfectly professional. Yeah. You know, the, the child wasn't the actual decedent. Okay. Thank God. Um, so the, um, it, but it was very difficult to handle. And it was it was difficult to handle on a lot of fronts. You know, it was difficult for me to handle. Uh, it was difficult for I think the officer, the one of the first arriving officers to handle as well. Sure. Uh, even the crime scene guy, I forget what his name is too. But it, um, even the um, even the crime scene guy, you know, I had, I had an opportunity to meet him not a, couple, a year or two ago, and, and even even he said he had a, a hard time handling that one. It was a t- it was a really really difficult job. So, you know, I. I I, I did my job and, you know, I, I made the pronouncement and um, walked out to the medic unit and I was sitting on the bumper, uh, the back bumper, just, and I had, and the thing was I had, I, like everything else, you had to, you have to do the paperwork. Yeah. So I'm, I'm sitting in the back of the medic unit and it was uh, relatively, um, it would be another, it would be another, you know, kind of type of job I'll never forget. And, you know, sitting in the back of the squad and trying to just, you know, write on the computer, type in my chart and I started crying. Yeah, yeah I really did. It was, it, it hit, it hit hard. For and for a reason I didn't understand at the time, and my my uh, ES officer at the time just walked over to me very quietly, you know, just said, "Hey, you know, are you okay?" And I was like, "You know what? No. <laughs> what happened in that home? There's nothing okay about it, hmm. you know, and, and, I, and I'm not okay." And he's like, "No problem. Take care of it." You know. I think we could spend a whole episode and then some on like the the mechanisms that our departments have for mm-hmm. the employees, but. I think some of the best are just that. Yeah. The supervisor, the friend, the coworker. Mm-hmm. Yeah, listen, you're all right. Talk to me. Let's talk about it after work. Mm-hmm. You know, a follow up phone call, that kind of thing. And those types of things are almost preventative. Because um, I mean, I honestly, I went through the whole EAP scenario there, mm-hmm. just because I, I think it was good. I think, and I think as a supervisor, that's what I would do. Yeah, you know, and it can't, and it can't hurt. I always say that it can't no. hurt to send somebody nope. EAPs, the Employee Assistance Program. Oh yeah. yeah. Um, 
you know, it's part of the job. You're going to see things that you're not supposed to see and that you may be told in the academy that are going to happen. But until you actually see it, until you're sitting there, you're like, wow, this this is it is it's uh, until you're you're sitting on location Mm -hmm. or you're, you know, doing you're actually physically out there doing the job. You don't know how you're going to react to it. Then it can be difficult. But I will say the department does have, you know, the EAP. The employee assistance program, you know, the members that are assigned down there do do a good job. They have, you know, further mental health counseling through yeah. the union, through uh, Local 22. And and if you need further help than that, they have avenues to get you, get you there. Well, listen, um, Lieutenant David Sullivan, Philadelphia Fire Department, EMS Lieutenant, one of the busiest fire departments in the country, if not the busiest. I say we're the busiest. I probably would concur. <laughs> um, you know, these are the people out there taking care of the citizens, you know, the residents, the visitors of Philadelphia, whether it just be, you know, the full gamut. What was this? What did you say earlier? The delivering a baby all the way up Neonate to... Neonate to 108. There you go. Um, you know, we're partners with you guys when it comes to gun violence, the opioid addiction, you know, keeping the citizens safe and healthy out here. I appreciate the time. And, um, you know, I look forward to doing this again. And maybe, you know, we're both supervisors now. We, we live in our offices, but maybe we will get out on the street and see each other at some point. Maybe come to my 1972 office. Exactly. Or at least if you're in the Penn Star helicopter, wave to me as you we'll fly. We'll wave to you as we're flying over. Um, so, David, honestly, man, I really appreciate it. Thank no you. No problem. Happy to be here. All right. See ya.